That's pretty good stuff. Lee, can I move this just a little bit? It's a hot mic. I am so grateful for that. Let's get back to what we're doing here. Hi, everybody. I'm Charlie, a very grateful recovered alcoholic. It's by the grace of God and this program and people like y'all in rooms like this. I haven't found it necessary to take a drink since March 22nd of 1985. I, uh, so uh, for y'all that saw me get my chip last night for 34 years, Today I am well into my 35th year of sobriety. <laughs> you know, I learned early on in AA there's a big difference between uh, lying and, and putting a little hair on a story. You know, uh, there's nothing wrong with putting a little hair on a story. I, uh, my home group's the primary purpose group of Alcoholics Anonymous in Austin, Texas. We meet on Tuesday nights at 7:30. At the, uh, at 2701 South Lamar at the Austin New Church. If you're ever in Austin on a Tuesday night, come see us. We'd love to try to show you the same kind of hospitality we've been showing around here. But it's, like Katie said, it's a, a line by line big book study meeting and, uh, we study the book week after week and, it, and it's just a lot more fun than it sounds like. I, uh, you know, there, there was, there was a time when it had been like, oh boy, yeah, uh, every week, huh? You know, but, uh, <laughs> But like Katie said, uh, <clears throat> we run about 225 people on average on a Tuesday night in Austin, Texas. And uh, I like to say that uh, I love to see the big book coming in, you know, into, it's, and there's a lot of big book in AA. Now, I like to say that we've been saying for years that uh, Alcoholics Anonymous is making a big comeback in AA. And, uh, <laughs> and I am I am real grateful for that. And, and you know, um, there's a few things I want to be, I want to mention that, um, Y'all heard uh, Chris talk last night. His twin brother is my sponsor, and uh, and before that, Myers is my sponsor. And before that, I was with Mark Houston, and then before that, I had a temporary sponsor for 17 years named Jim Fletcher. And uh, and, uh, and and he he sends me every year. He sends me the chip that he carried when he had 34 years. I should warn you, I'm a big guy, I shoot shotguns competitively, I ride motorcycles, and I'm liable to cry like a little girl in a pink dress up here at any minute. <laughs> so if it happens, don't worry about it. I'm not off my medication or anything. I, uh, and, and a lot of times when I see the power of God, the undeniable hand of God moving in our lives, I don't know how to not get emotional about that. And I, I'm not sure you're supposed to, you know. I mean, it's uh, i got to tell you, I love Chris's talk last night, but I mean... I get tears in my eyes every time he talks about that girl putting her finger in his belt loop. I mean, those are the acts of God that you can only see when we look back. Where uh, a life hung in the balance, and somebody took a little action, and they, you see the power of God moving in our lives. Here, my, I, uh, um, before I forget it, and coming up here first weekend of April, uh, Katie and I are going to be back up here in Charlotte doing a big book study. April 5, 6, and 7. Where's Cody and Ryan? Stand up. That's Ryan right there. And they're, they're putting on a big book study in, in, uh, in uh, Charlotte for anybody that's interested. I, in, uh, and we're looking forward to that. You know, things like this don't just come together. You know, there's a lot of people that do a lot of work. I want to thank Glenn and Jane for asking us to come to this. And, and uh if you've been involved in stuff like this, you know there's a lot of people that have worked really hard to make this come together, and, and I'm, I'm real grateful to them. Thank you. And and if it's like home, uh, 
There's a lot of people that didn't do a darn thing. Uh, <laughs> but we all have opinions on how it could have been done just a little bit better, you know. And so for them, we got a position on the committee next year. But but that's the fellowship I crave. I, uh, I want to thank Earl for my coffee. That's going to help a lot. But, um, you know, Bill, uh, Bill did a great talk. And, you know, Bill is super special to us because we really thought, we were going to lose Bill before he got to the top of that transplant list. It, and to have him up there vibrant and speaking last night and bringing it like he did with such clarity and message, it's just, it's just wonderful to see Bill. And we got to see Bill in the hospital. Oh, my God, did we get to see Bill. Um, uh, we, get to, we got to see a side of Bill you're not going to see from the podium. Let me just tell you that. I, uh, I mean, that boy was swole up like nothing you've ever seen. But I... But I uh, and, and before I went, I've got some friends here, but you know, Bill and his gang are here, and Dane and Rhonda, and then my and my man Ryan C. Uh, I got to see last night, and Jeremy. And it's just, it's great to see people that you've met. I, but there's too many friends in this room to even start to mention it because there's, it's been wonderful just walking across the lobby, running so many people. But I, um, you know, I. Uh, and the last thing I want to say before I get going on, on my talk, well, a couple of things. One is. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about Katie at some point. My talk and Katie's talk both have a lot in common. Um, both of us talk a lot about Katie. <laughs> and uh, she's my best friend. She's the best AA I know. And, and I love the fact that we get to, not only that we get to do this, but that we get to do it together a lot. It's not lost on us how, how often we get to go together. And, and I just thought she did a great job on the third step last night. But I want to address one of the biggest mistakes you could make this weekend. There are people sitting in this room right now thinking maybe we'll go have breakfast during the Al-Anon talk. Maybe we'll take a nap during the Al-Anon talk, you know, and that sort of thing. And, and I, just, I just want to tell you, if I could help you, the thing I would tell you, is that Larsen is not one of our best Al-Anon speakers. She is one of our best speakers. And, uh, um, and, uh, do yourself a favor and be in here for that. You know, and, and, I, and of course, I want to thank Lee and everybody here. I, I use some notes and stuff sometimes, and uh, believe me, you want me to. One time there was a guy, a well-known guy, he's like, you know, Charlie, I don't think you should use notes. And, and uh, so I gave about five talks, you know, just off the cuff. And Katie goes, oh, my God, you got to get your notes back out. Because, I mean, I got a little ADD working up here. And there will be times during the talk where I'll say, well, we're going to get back to that later. And, and what that means is this ain't the appropriate time in the talk to introduce that piece of information. But when I tell you we're going to come back to it, we're probably not coming back. I, mean, so I, always, I always get real excited when I actually circle back. But it's funny how we have opinions about, you know, whether you do. One of the things that always amuses me about Alcoholics Anonymous is that whenever we form a firing squad, we always form a circle. You know, and so, so we wind up with some of our best uh, team members picking each other off of whether it's sponsee or protege or two-fold illness, three-fold illness, you know, uh, Recovered, recovering, used those don't use, you know, and it's funny how I have opinions. Well, we're going to talk about fourth and fifth step, and a lot of what we're doing in there is looking at where my old ideas come from, but it's funny how driven I can be if my old ideas have got nothing to back them up. You know, I, uh, I used to have a, I used to have a strong opinion about bass players that played, well, hi. 
She said, I think she's either she said up yours or I can't hear you very well. Is that better? Pull the mic to me, but then I can't see my notes. All right. Um, I, uh, I used to have a strong opinion about bass players that played with a pick. I'm not a bass player. <laughs> I'm not a musician. You know, but, but uh, I always felt like a bass player should play with his fingers and not with a pick. And, and I had this roommate one time that was a musician. And one time he goes, I think if you play better with a pick, you should play with a pick. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's kind of the way I am with the notes, you know. It's like, if, rock on, whatever works best for you. But, you know, I love this format, and I want to get going. But, but uh, I think uh, I'm, I'm a big book guy. I'm a step worker, and, I, and I, 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 I'm an unapologetic big book guy. I, uh, it's, it, it's funny. I always, it always kills me when people in the meetings go, well, I'm no big book quoter, you know. And you're like, oh, no, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> We'd much, we'd much rather you talked about your divorce for seven minutes, you know. <laughs> but but don't quote the big book, you know. That'll, that'll run off the newcomer. You know, it's funny. We, I, and then the one, I, I don't know where we're going to go today, guys, but I hope we have some fun. But I, uh, but I mean, one of the things that was killing me there for a while, people were saying, well, don't talk about God. You'll run off the newcomer, you know. And you're like, oh, well, I guess if we're going to compromise one of our basic tenets to keep from running off the newcomer, Maybe we ought to lighten up on the not drinking part of AA, too, you know. I mean, I'm telling you, that runs off more newcomers than anything, you know. It's like, maybe we should just start going, just don't drink so much, you know. I mean, you know, Jesus drank wine, just take it easy, you know. I'm, Chris did a good job of talking about, uh, about, um, why we can't do that, you know, and, and, and boy, when we talk about a message of depth and weight, being able to talk about the physical allergy, mental obsession, what it means to be an alcoholic, because I love to talk about the way the steps roll out and what it's doing in this process. And a whole bunch, you know, out of the 103 pages that our big book covers in the recovery program, the, first, the doctor's opinion in the first 44 pages of it are step one. It drives me in to the rest of this work because I don't know why I'd give a flip about a power greater than myself if I still think my power is going to get the job done. So once I have that crushing step one experience where all of a sudden I go, my God, if I got it the way Chris was describing it last night, I got no shot. No shot. Well, then this power gets really interesting. And, and you know, and so, but then when Katie did it, Katie did a great step three last night. But, you know, it's funny. Uh, turned out the third step meant something way different than I thought it meant for a long time. And, and, uh, um, and, the, and we could, but it's funny. I had a lot of, one time, uh, I was up in Idaho at a men, doing a men's conference and, and the guy that was recording it was sitting over at his table and I'll never forget it. I was sitting around with a group of men and, and this guy gets up and he goes, this guy's, he points at me and he goes, this guy's wife did a one hour talk on step three and never even got to the third step prayer. And I remember thinking, we do that all all the time, you know. I could talk for three hours about the third step without getting to. The, but if your experience is that the entire third step experience is getting down on your knees and doing the third step prayer, that would be remarkable, you know. Because one time Katie was talking somewhere, and, and they said, "Hey, as long as you're here, 
you know, you want to do a workshop? And I said, yeah, I'd like to do a workshop on step three. And this guy with 38 years, I'll never forget, came out and he lived up in Alaska. And he goes, how do you do a workshop on step three? And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, well, what is there other than the third step? You know, just you know, knock out the prayer and, and let's get rolling. And I was like, I really hope you come, you know, because, you know. <laughs> and I didn't mean that belittlingly because that was my experience for a long time. But, you know, but, but it turns out, you know, that, that the book takes a right turn on page 60 that I missed for 17 years. You know, because if there are any mistakes being made in AA, I think one of the biggest mistakes we made is going right from, the ABC, you know, you know what the next line is after that C? It says being convinced we were at step three. So that tells me A, B, and C do a pretty good job of summing up one and two. A, that I'm alcoholic and could not manage my own life. Chris talked about what that means. B, that probably no human power could have relieved my alcoholism. And C, that God could and would if he ever saw it. Then it says being convinced we were at step three. You know, and so, uh, the book takes a right turn right there, but I think one of the biggest mistakes we make is taking a guy from are you alcoholic? Yeah, and if he says, yeah, and then we may not talk a whole lot about what that means, mental obsession. And if he says, yeah, I drink, you know, I must be, then we go, well, then how are you, where are you at with God? And if we can get past that, then we go, uh, okay, let's get you down on your knees and do the third step prayer and, and then get you right in inventory. And that was my experience, my first pass through the steps. And we skipped this body of work in pages 60 to 63. And it's, it's really not very important. It's just the root of my problem. And the basis of my recovery for the rest of my life. You know? <laughs> Other than that, just skip it and go to a lot of meetings and we're going to pray for you. You know, and, uh, you know, and, and, and you know, the other thing I found out is that I had a lot of company. You know, I'm not the only person in AA that was having that experience. So, uh, so that's what we, like, and I love it when Katie does three ahead of my four because you can roll right into it, you know, so, because when we talk about that selfishness and self-centeredness, you know, the, the, the new guy nods his head like he understands what we're talking about. Well, he doesn't understand what we're talking about. And, and the reason I know that is because at 34, well into my 35th year of sobriety, I, uh, <laughs> Even I'm shocked by the level of self-centeredness in my mind, you know, and sometimes when Katie talked about that first thought, oh my God, you know, and, 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 and you know, I always, you know, and we're going to get around to talking about a lot of some of this stuff later, hopefully, but, uh, I always like to say, if you don't think you got any lingering self-centeredness or untreated alcoholism, how'd you like to have, here's a con, how'd you like to have a loudspeaker hooked to your brain that broadcasts your thoughts as you're moving around in the world? Does that just send a chill down your spine, you know? You know, just in a Starbucks, you know, you know, or anywhere, you know, I walk in, oh my God, you know, so, uh, so when Katie talks about the terms of the deal, you know, the deal we make in step three, after we, it tells us what the problem is, selfishness, self-centeredness, and it's the terms of the deal, I love it, it's a very simple deal. Stay close to him, perform his work well, he'll give me what I need. And, you know, and, and so, uh, but I, and like Katie said last night, I can't stay close to this power, until I get close to this power, and I can't get close to this power when I'm blocked. So this body of work we're going to talk about in steps four through nine is about getting me unblocked from this power that I've admitted is my only shot. The only thing that will help a hopeless drunk like me is a connection with this power that we're talking about. So we get into this thing we call the second surrender. The first surrender is a surrender to drugs and alcohol or whatever brought me in here, you know, and, and there's a... There's a lot of, you know, thing, but I mean, it's easy to surrender when a gorilla's got his foot on your throat. You know, I mean, the second surrender is a lot tougher 
the second surrender to self-will generally comes after I've been sober for a while trying to manage the deal as a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous and, and blowing up stuff. And, and that was my story, and that's, that's for a different talk. But, I, uh, but, you know, when we talk about getting unblocked, it's funny how much we – whenever somebody says, I'm, I'm working on my fourth step, and there's this collective groan in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, we should be cheerleading for this guy. You know, we should be going, oh, buddy – you are about to be rocketed in the fourth dimension of existence you never dreamed of. And like Chris says, uh, I'm not sure people are dying from not from doing the fourth step improperly. Uh, I think they're dying from not doing it at all. And 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 that's that's you would think that that's everywhere, but it's not. You know, and I, I got a guy at my table right now He's 19 years sober, and he said, I want to talk about how to do an inventory. And I said, how long since you wrote an inventory? And he said, I don't think I ever have. I said, well, this is good news. Yeah, yeah, you're, we got we got an answer for what's bugging you, you know. So, but, you know, on that, on that, after we do the third step, it says, next, we launched out on a course of vigorous action. And I used to think that that course of vigorous action was the fourth step or the fourth and fifth step. And I really think now the, the course of vigorous action is four through nine or maybe even four through ten and eleven. But, but, you know, this vigorous, it's like a golf swing. You know, and and so it's like four and five, and then into six and seven, and then eight and nine, and then carry that awareness into ten and eleven to try to stay on block. But but you know, we try to do a lot of times we just do the inventory and stop. And has anybody ever seen Charles Barkley swing a golf club? Anybody? <laughs> Google Charles Barkley golf swing. I mean, he's got this hitch, this some kind of psychotic hitch in his golf swing where he kind of brings it back and goes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I mean, he has some of the best teachers in the world. And then they'll go, okay, hit the ball. And he'll get up there and go, you know, and that's kind of what happens if we stop on four and five. But, you know, but I, we got to do four and five first. So what we're going to talk about doing is, is, is getting down to causes and conditions, you know, because we've made that, that thing on, uh, on, on, uh, 60, where in 60, 63, we've seen where, Alcohol wasn't really the problem. Selfishness and self-centeredness were. And the only thing that ever eased the discomfort of a life based on selfishness and self-centeredness for a guy like me was alcohol for a long time. But then one of the things that we've had an interesting question we've been asking lately is, what did you use to treat your alcoholism before you found alcohol? You know, because if you're like me, it didn't start with that and it didn't end with that. You know, and like my, my first, the first thing, I, Kate, uh, one of my sponsors says Fruit Loops. And... Uh, <laughs> For me, it was cream gravy. You know, I could, I, I was a good old southern household. I could knock myself unconscious with mashed potatoes and gravy and still do occasionally, you know, but, but, uh, we gotta be careful about talking about that to the newcomer. You know, you, you don't want to be out in the meeting going, it all started with the Fruit Loops, you know, uh, you know <laughs> there's a long story that goes behind that. But, you know, when we talk about getting down to causes and conditions, we talk about this fact finding and a fact facing mission. And um, a lot of these words have started having more new meaning to me because I used to think that, that, that the sponsor's job was the fact-finding and the fact-facing, but now I've started thinking my job is the fact-finding and his job is the fact-facing. 
Because he may not be capable of seeing it from an entirely different angle. He's not, you know, we say you can't see a picture when you're in it. He's not going to be able to see this stuff from an entirely different angle. And so sometimes my job is to listen to the, his inventory, and I'm looking for an entirely different angle. I'm looking for manifestations of self and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, when we talk about being convinced that self manifesting, it's funny. Over on... Um, it says, first requirement is that I must be convinced. And then right before the fourth step on 64, it says the first requirement is that I be on the First requirement on 60 was that I be convinced. On 64, it says, being convinced that self manifested in various ways is what it defeated me. And the way I like to turn statements into questions out of the big book, and it's like, am I convinced? Am I convinced that self-manifested in various ways was what it defeated me? Because I wasn't for a long time. And I had a lot of company. You know, and so if I am, how did that happen? You know, um, and it, if on 60 it says I have to be convinced, and on 64 it says being convinced, that tells me that pages 60 to 64 are designed to convince me. You know, I don't think I got the information on page 60 to be convinced, but we get over here to 64, and it says, first we searched out the flaws in our makeup which caused our failure. Being convinced that self manifested in various ways was what it defeated me. We looked for self's common manifestations. I always I like to think about what would be a fair question for this new guy I'm working with to ask me. You know, because uh, it's like if I can just see I'm working with this guy and he goes, okay, okay, you're telling me that self is the problem self. You know, I don't get it. You know, what am I supposed to be looking for? I, you know, I'm, you know, I don't know how to look for self. And we go, well, we're going to consider some of self's common manifestations. It changes the whole the whole approach to the fourth step because my first fourth step was basically just writing down and confessing all the terrible stuff that I'd ever done, and it, and it wasn't a terrible exercise, but it wasn't. I'm seeing more depth in what it's saying in here now because it says. Uh, if the guy's going, it says, being convinced of self is what it defeated me, we considered the common manifestations of self. So now this guy's going, if self is the problem, we go, well, let's look at some common manifestations of self. And, and boy, you can have some fun with that. I mean, I have this one sponsee, Chris, that I just love. I, I've, I've, uh, I've threatened to take him around when we do workshops and just put him in a playpen over by the side of the stage you know, as an extreme example of self-will run riot. You know, we're just... Where just every so often you can take the microphone and go, Chris, what are you thinking about? And then you go, well, I'm thinking about how I got screwed around on this deal. You know what I mean? It's like, it, it, because it's just unfiltered alcoholism coming at you. And that's easy to work with. But I mean, I, you know, he was the one that, that one time he called me and he goes, and when we were doing the third step, he goes, I don't, I don't think I have this selfishness you're talking about. I, 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 really, I really don't. In fact, I'll never get it. He said, I was an honest dope dealer. And, uh, <laughs> Like we could we could do twenty minutes on that, you know. But uh, but uh, but he said, and then like a year and a half later, he called me one day, and my phone rings, and I and I go, hey, what's up? And he goes, when does the selfishness stop? <laughs> and I'll never forget. It. I said, brother, you know, I don't know the answer to that question, but I can tell you, it's more than twenty-seven years, because I had twenty-seven years at the time, and I'm, and it's all over me. You know, I mean, the, the way I react to stuff and, and that sort of thing, you know. So that we look, when we start looking for common manifestations of self, you can have a lot of fun. And I, I may go off chart here a little bit, but because there's so many fun ways of looking at manifestations of self, you know. I, uh, uh, I'm doing it. Um, 
One of the things we talk about is story stealing. Now, this may not happen in Tennessee, but as a manifestation of self, this is one you may occasionally see in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And story stealing is where you start a story, and your story reminds me of one of my stories. It turns out that my story is way more interesting than your story. (laughs) And so so I don't even listen to your story. I come over the top of it with with my story. And it started at a party one night. Katie... You know, I'm some of Katie's best work. I, uh, I'm, I, and, and I'm not even kidding. I mean, so the stuff she sees and points out to me, I am super grateful for. But I mean, because I don't see it because I'm sound asleep sometimes, you know. And we were at a party one time and this guy comes up and he goes, uh, hey Charlie, how you doing? I go, oh good. He goes, I'm getting ready to go to Costa Rica. And I go, Oh, Costa Rica. Dude, I've been to Costa Rica three times. I go, one time I went down there with 10 of my friends. We stayed at this place called Melia Cariati. We, we played golf. We rented motorcycles. We, we went whitewater rafting. Oh my God, you're going to love Costa Rica. And I spin around and walk away. <laughs> and the only reason I know this is because Katie told me I did it, you know, and she's left standing there. And this poor guy never got to tell his Costa Rica story because I stole it, right? <laughs> So that's what we call story stealing as one of the ways that selfishness and self-centeredness shows up. You know, and, and, and there's a first cousin that goes with story stealing, and that's what we call having your hand up while somebody's talking. You know, and, and, and my 13-year-old daughter showed me that one time. And it's because if I'm not story stealing, I, sometimes you've triggered a thought in me, but I might as well be sitting there going... No, because at one time Katie and I were sitting at the, talk, at the table and we're talking and, she, and she, I forget what she's talking about, but she goes, put your hand down, honey, I'm still talking. And, and, and my hand wasn't actually up, but I, but I felt myself go, <sighs> because I didn't realize it, but I'd already drawn in air so that I'd be ready to seize the floor if she took a, if she took a break, you know what I mean? And, 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 you know, so was, and I didn't even know, I was, but I was ready to go. I mean, I said, my nephew, he can't even, he'll be, you'll be talking to him, you can see it trigger a thought, and he goes, and he can't even look at you. He just goes, <laughs> and then as soon as you stop, he goes, Uncle Charlie, you know, and I mean, and, and, well, that's what we call having our hand up. You can have some fun with that. Throw a little flag on the field occasionally where you go. Nope, that's story stealing, you know, and, and as a manifestation of self, we're not just picking on each other. We're looking, you know, I like to, I've got several people that I have spiritual consent with, and we like to say a lot of times, I'd rather step on your toes than stand on your grave. I, I'm, we're lucky if we have people that are bringing this stuff to us in a loyal, you know, loving way, you know, like going, dude, you can't even be in a conversation. And, you know, because I became aware of it a long time before I knew what the problem was. You know, I remember calling up John Henry one time and go, my God, I can't even be in a conversation. I just have to force myself, you know, hey, Bill, how are the kids, you know, and, and act like I give a flip about the answer because I don't, you know, I mean... Oh, my God, when we talk about manifestations of self, I'm going way off track here, honey. I don't know what's, I don't know what's about to happen here. But, you know, uh, but one time, one time Katie goes, uh, we were doing a workshop, and she said, we were talking about the story stealing stuff, and she says, you got to learn to be an active listener. And, and, uh, and we're like, what? And, uh, and, 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 and it was a big room, and, and, uh, and she says, like, listen to what they're saying, you know, and actually act like you get, and then when they finish, you ask three questions, right? And then you can talk, you know, but after you've asked them three questions about what they're talking about, then, then, um, then you can talk. And we're like, 
I guess, yeah. And, and, and so this guy comes up during the break. I'll never forget it. Real earnestly, he comes up and he's got his clipboard, he's got his pen, and he waits for his turn with Katie and he goes, what are the three questions? <laughs> she goes, well, you don't know. It depends on what you're talking about. But, but I had a sponsee that was sitting there and he goes, Charlie, I think about half the room was trying to figure out what the three questions were. You know, you know because, I, okay, now how do I act like I give a listen? You know, one, one time, Katie, was, we were up at Wilson House, and, uh, and, uh, and, and Chris Schroeder had come up to spend a weekend with us. And uh, Katie, this woman had asked Katie, because uh, 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 Katie's a great listener, and, 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 she, and she's the best at hearing the inventory of anybody I've ever seen. And, and, uh, Everybody in the room should call Katie this week and do a tenth step with her. You know, uh, but but she said, this woman says, can I talk to you after the meeting? And, and they go over and they sit down and they're talking and Katie's looking at her. And, she, and I go, Chris, Chris, come here. I go, check this out, check this out. I go, watch Katie listen. And we're sitting there and Katie's going, and I lean over and I go, I don't know how to do that. And Chris leans back into me and he goes, I don't even know how to look like I'm doing that. And I decided I was going to do it at the table one day. This guy was sharing some stuff with me and we're there to do AA work together. And he's talking and I've decided I'm going to make eye contact. I'm going to be an active listener and I'm going to be listening to him. And I'm looking at his face and I'm nodding my head and i got eye contact going and I realize i got no idea what he's saying. <laughs> Because I'm so focused on trying to look like I'm listening. I don't, I don't, I don't even know how to act. So, you know, we could spend a lot of time. Oh, my gosh. Well, we got to get going here. I uh, just never know what's going to happen on a Saturday morning. But, uh, but you know, so when we're talking about manifestation itself, we're just getting started. You know, we're looking at we're, we're learning. It's kind of like college. You're really just learning how to learn, you know. And, and, and that's what we're trying to do in this fourth is learn how to see this stuff. And so when the guy's going, okay, if self is the problem, I don't understand what I'm supposed to be looking for. We go, well, let's talk about some of the common ways that self shows up. And then the book immediately says, resentment is the number one offender. As a manifestation of self. See how this, when it says convinced that self manifested in various ways is what it defeated us, we considered some of the common manifestations of self. It changes the whole focus of this inventory process because now if I am convinced that self is what it defeated me, we're going to look at the different ways it shows up and it says resentment is a very common manifestation of self. And I think it's brilliant that they start off with resentment because every drunk in the world can tell you who they're pissed off at. You know, I mean, when I get, I've been doing that on bar stools for a long time, just the first two columns. But I, uh, but I mean, and, and so it, it says it destroys more alcoholics than anything else, even alcohol. Isn't that interesting? It says resentment destroys more alcoholics than anything. From it, resentment stem all forms of spiritual disease. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. So we've got this physical allergy coupled with a mental obsession that make us in this hopeless state of mind and body, but we don't attack it on the physical plane or on the mental plane. We attack it on the spiritual plane, and we straighten out mentally and physically. It's an amazing process, and it was a big deal when it all came together. But uh, um, I can use 
about another foot of podium up here. But you know, one of the things it says is further. One of my favorite promises in the big book is on page 29, where it says, "Further on, clear-cut directions are given showing how we recovered." You know, so I, I need some clear-cut directions, and it says, "In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper." Boom. We listed people, institutions, and principles with whom we're angry. You know, one of the reasons I didn't understand those three columns for a long time was because we don't write them across like this. We write them like this. It says we list people, institutions, and principles with who we're angry. And then, and then it says, uh, we had, column two, we ask ourselves why we're angry, what they do. You know, who is it, what they do. And, and, then, and then next to that, it says we list our injuries, our self-esteem, our security, our ambitions, personal. You know, but the thing about it is, we're not writing a novel here. We're using bullet points. And, and one of my favorite examples is in, in Mr. Brown. You know, Mr. Brown, it says, in, under the cause in column two, it says, his attention to my wife. He told my wife I have a mistress. We're not even going to mention the bro code here. but uh, I, <laughs> And I've been faithful to my wife the whole time. i got to tell you, I loved it when Bill said But then it says he's trying to get my job at the office. So now think about it. This guy is hitting on his wife. The way he's trying to get next to her is he told her, he says, well, you know, he's got a, a girlfriend anyway, right, you know, and he's going to knock me out of my job. Out of, with all that on the table, Brown got 19 words, right? It take, now, one of my favorite AAT shirts happens to be, I got given, it was given to me yesterday. It says, Mr. Brown needs his ass kicked. <laughs> You know, the only, Gary Brown's the only one that doesn't like this T-shirt. You know, he's like, he's like, maybe he's like, I don't think that's so funny. You know, but um, and then I got, I've greatly expanded my wardrobe this week, and I got another T-shirt about the layers of the onion. Yet, how many layers does this damn onion have? Anyway, let's keep going. I, that, I've never gotten T-shirts before, and that's just super cool. But, uh, but you know, um, so then we, go, then we go into this third column, you know, and it says, and there's a ton of instructions out there on how to write a four-column inventory. You know, and like we were saying earlier, you just just do one, you know. And, and, but, but if it says the first thing apparent is that the world and its people were often quite wrong. I love that Katie's the one that brought that to my attention. But the, a lot of this stuff in the book will just roll right past me if I'm not careful. So the only thing I'm struggling with here is... The world and its people. Uh, other than that, I'm cool. You know, I, I don't really have much friction out there. You know, you know, and, and so it's just it's, uh, the usual outcome. You know, and I like to say a lot of times that that was the topic at most of the meetings I used to sit in. It was you know, that the world and its people were often quite wrong. And, you know, we love to talk about that. But but it says the usual outcome is that I stayed. Upset, and, and people continue to wrong me, and I stay sore. You know, so it's plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. Well, here's where it gets interesting. That first inventory I did was these three columns, and I experienced some relief, and I talked a lot about some of the stuff that I felt bad about. But we weren't looking at it from this angle and this self. And, but you know, over on page 66, there's an interesting exercise that's not on any four-step guide I've seen, and we call it the sick man exercise, and. Uh, because one time one of Katie's sponsees called one day and she goes, she's mad at somebody at work. She goes, and I've done the sick man prayer on him about ten times. And we're like, 
I like that, the sick man prayer. But, you know, my first inventory only had three columns. We didn't do the fourth column. We, we didn't know where it was. And I don't care whether you call it the fourth column, the fifth column, the expanded third column, but whatever you call that body of work on page 67, there's a, a significant chunk of work that we put in there. But there's a piece of business that's wedged clever, cleverly between the third column and the fourth column that I don't see on any of the four-step guides out there. And it's this thing we're going to talk about. It says... We turned back to the list, for it held the key to the future. We were prepared to look at it from an, look at the list from an entirely different angle. And I'll ask guys when they're reading me, they may go, are you prepared to look at this from a different angle? And because a lot of times I like to say I'm in the entirely different angle business. That's, that's really what I'm about when I'm here in 10th steps, when I'm doing inventory people. I'm in the entirely different angle business because I can't see it from an entirely different angle. I mean, I can't even tell you how many times I've sat, well, Mark used to say the fourth column turns the second column into a lie. And the, Mark Houston is uh, one of the most powerful men I've ever met. And he changed my life and the lives of a lot of people, including Chris and, and anybody, if they got to know him, Mark was a special dude. And, uh, and it, but I remember he would say stuff that was so over my head. And one time he said the, the fourth column turns the second column into a lie. And I remember thinking... What does that even mean? I saw the second column happen, and we're gonna, we're gonna get around to, you know, I mean, that's, it's not a lie, it was a real, that's why I'm writing inventory, you know, and, and, uh, but it says, uh, we're prepared to look at it from a time, the world and its people really, so, it says these resentments must be mastered, but how? And then here's this little chunk of work in there, it says, this was our course. We realized that the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. Though we didn't like their symptoms and the way these disturbed us, they, like ourselves, were sick too. You know, I had never... It doesn't necessarily mean they're a whole lot sicker than I am, but I'd never really looked at things from their perspective, you know? And, and the problem I have is, you know, when it talks about even though our motives are good, the re- one of the reasons I can't see self is because I take all... I got this funnel that I run my actions through. And one side of this funnel is where it talks about even though our motives are good, all I ever want to talk about is my motives, right? You know, and one of the things I've seen working with guys is that we don't think we should be in trouble if I wasn't trying to hurt you, right? And maybe I'm the only one that does that. But, I mean, Katie will, Katie will go, you know, you really hurt my feelings when you said that in front of all those people. Last night. And I'm like, well, honey, honey, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. And she's like, look in here. Look, look right in here. You see anybody that gives a flip whether you were trying to hurt my feelings or not? You know, I'm telling I'm telling you, but but I didn't mean to, right? I didn't, I didn't mean, you know, and, and I'll hang, I want to stay on that. You know, it's talking about, no, my intentions were good. So it says, even though my motives were good, I hurt people. It wasn't just straight up mean. And then I also got this delusion that if everybody would have just acted right, we'd all be fine. Yeah, I know it looks bad. You know, if you want to see getting in a jackpot with good motives, just next time everybody's gone, go to your AA clubhouse and rearrange the furniture. <laughs> Watch us lose our minds, you know. I mean, you know, you're just like, I was just going to bring a little more light into the room, you know, or something. I mean, so, so, but you know, but I don't. So, I don't see all this stuff because of my motives. Because the thing is, I'm a, I'm a hypocrite, and I love double standards, you know. So, uh, one time I was talking to Katie, and I go, uh, "Honey, you hear a lot of inventory from my guys," and she goes, "Yeah." I always feel like half my sponsees are using me to get to Katie anyway because she's she's so much better at hearing inventory than I am. And, and I guarantee you, Bill and Dan have, have done tons. I said, you hear a lot of inventory from my guys. She goes, yeah. I go, 
I don't get the impression that I'm fixing to hear a lot of inventory from your women. She goes, no, you're not. And I go, well, that's kind of a double standard, don't you think? She goes, oh, honey, there's a lot of double standards. I mean, the sooner you get used to that, the happier you'll be. You know, <laughs> Got it. Got it. Okay. You know, uh, but I mean, I don't see the, uh, this stuff, you know, so what we do in this Sigma exercise is, is, uh, look at that from a different angle. You know, here's a great example of it because I never considered it. We talk about being inconsiderate. The reason we say inconsiderate is because I never considered it. Right? The reason it's thoughtless is because I never thought about it. You know, and so when I'm mad at somebody, and there's an example I like to use of this sponsee I had, he's told me it's okay to talk about it. I had this sponsee named Roy, and he was deeply uh, resentful towards his father. Had been for a long time. And we're doing inventory, and I said, well, you know, what happened with your dad? And he says, my dad, um, and he goes, well, in the column, second column, he goes, well, when I was about 12, I was sitting out on the front steps of the house, and my dad came walking up, uh, and he walks by me, and he goes, your mom killed herself today, and he walked into the house. And you're like, how can anybody be that thoughtless, that that callous, you know? And that's and that's where a lot of people would go with this in inventory. How do you deal with somebody that thoughtless? That's not where we went. I said, Are you willing to look at this from an entirely different angle? And he goes, Yeah, yeah. I said, Let's think about your dad for a minute. Let's look at. I go, because uh, a lot of times when I'm hearing inventory now, I'm like a news reporter. I'm, I'm getting a story. I'm asking, how many kids? How, so I go, how many kids were in your family? And he says three. And I go, and he goes, they were all two years apart. And I said, where did you fall in those three kids? He goes, I was the youngest. I was, and so I'm about twelve. And, and I go, and, um, I go so uh, your parents were still together? And he goes, yeah. And I go, uh, what, what, how was the money situation? He goes, well, I mean, it was okay. My dad was a welder. We lived in a little town in central Texas. And, I mean, we weren't over it, but my dad, we, it was fine. You know, my dad was a welder and, and that sort of thing. And, and uh, I go, uh, and, uh, and I go, so your mom has a history of mental illness? And he goes, yeah. And I would imagine there's been a lot of dramatic scenes over the years in, in your house and that sort of thing. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was pretty nice. And I go, and so, and, but on this day, you're, you're, she has successfully killed herself. And he said, and I said, so now your dad has had to leave work. He's got to come home. He's got to notify all the people in this little town in East, in East Texas that, that, uh, his wife committed suicide. He's got to notify both sides of the family that, there's, that his wife has committed suicide. He's got to risk the judgment of all these people. And and in the meantime, he's got to try to figure out a way to earn a living and raise three kids as a widower. And I said, is it possible that on that day when he walked by you, the best he was capable of doing, he wasn't trying to harm you, but when he just walked by and he just said, your mom killed herself today. And my favorite thing to hear in the fourth column of inventory is when they go, oh, my God. This one gets me every time. He goes, oh, my God. I never considered my father for a second. All I could think about was me. You know, all of my childhood memories are about me. I don't have any memories of what my parents were going through or the struggles my sister was having or anything like that. It's all about me. And he said, there he goes, all I thought about was the way it affected me. He goes, I've spent, he goes, 
I've spent 40 years mad at my dad. I've been spent 40 years waiting for my dad to come apologize to me for being, you know, such a jerk. He goes, I need to go find my father tomorrow and apologize to him. I've borrowed money from him and not paid him back because I felt like he deserved it. I've kicked his truck when I saw it in the parking lot and that sort of thing. And he goes, I need to find my father and make amends to him. And when we talk about the fourth column turning the second column into a lie, I watched a 40-year-old resentment go, just like that. That's the power of this process. That's the power of God working in our lives. I watched a man get set free and be able to reestablish a relationship with his father that had been damaged for 40 years. And, and that's this entirely different angle business that we talk about. There's a thing in there where it says, though we didn't like their symptoms and the way they disturbed us, they, we asked God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. When a person offended, we said, this is a sick man. How can I be helpful? God saved me from being angry. We avoid retaliation or argument. We wouldn't treat sick. If we do, we just, it's not because it upsets us. If I retaliate or argue, I destroy my chance of being helpful later. You know, if I call somebody an idiot at an AA meeting, I'm not the guy who's going to come to, for help, you know, the next time he's in trouble. But, but it says, uh, here's a promise. But at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one. I don't know where all we're going to go today, but I do want to talk about this. I've had some trouble in my family sometimes. Uh, this is probably an isolated incident in Alcoholics Anonymous. But, uh, <laughs> and for years I used to say that my sister would give a woodpecker a headache after about 45 minutes. And, uh, <laughs> and I hate giving that up because it's a really good line, you know. I mean, <laughs> But the truth is, is that I'm impatient and intolerant, you know, with, with my sister. And, and, and there's a thing here, because she's okay. She doesn't give everybody a headache. Just me. And, and, but, but, but there's this prayer that I had done here where it says, we ask God to help us. It doesn't, you know how we talk about praying for the person we resent? That's from one of the stories in the back. It's not a terrible exercise, but it's not what we're doing here. It says we ask God to help us. Show them the same tolerance, compassion, and patience that we would grant a sick friend. Well, now, the thing is, I missed a piece of that for a long time. I love doing the set-aside prayer because it helps me see stuff that I've never seen in this stuff before. Because otherwise, I've got this thing I call a confirmation bias, where I'm just just—I'm not looking for new information in the book. I'm just looking for confirmation of ways that I'm already right. You know, I'm looking through and I'm going, mm, mm-hmm. oh, see, that's what I always say. You know, and, and, and I go, oh, see, you can't tell me anything about this line. I've already got it highlighted and underlined, you know. And, and one day I was doing inventory with one of Katie's sponsees about this resentment and, and, uh, and with my sister. And because otherwise, I, you know, we go to the family reunion and, and the guy that's acting like an idiot is the guy with 34 years of sobriety and the 12 steps in God in his life. You know, just a videotape he'd love sent into the general service office as an example of how a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous handles a family gathering. You know, and, and, and but we talked about it. She goes, tell me about that word show. And it says, we ask God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would grant a sick friend. I had to look at it from my sister's perspective, but also I realized that I, and she said, I see that word show as a call to action. And I realized that day that what I'd been doing was I'd been praying to God to help me feel 
tolerance and compassion and patience when I got around these people. But when I got around them and they bothered me and I didn't feel it anymore, here comes the idiot. You know? So what it's saying here is we have asked God to help us demonstrate tolerance, compassion, and patience, whether I feel it or not. Because, you know, now we're talking about living by principles and not based on my feelings. You know, I'm, I'm going to try to demonstrate tolerance and compassion and patience around these people. And, it turn, and they get a lot better. These people get a lot better when we do this stuff. You know, and my sister, she's still got room for improvement. But I, uh, I'm, I'm just kidding. But I, uh, I, uh, this is, so this, we resolutely look for our own mistakes. Where have I been selfish? See, then what happens is this little sick man exercise between the third column and the fourth column moves me spiritually into a place where I can see things from an entirely different angle. Because now I've looked at it from their angle. I've, had, I've tried to have compassion for it. And now it says we're going to disregard the other person entirely and resolutely look for our own mistakes. Like Katie said last night, I'd love to see the term my part removed from the conversation in Alcoholics Anonymous. Because you hear a lot of us go, well, you know, I looked at my part. Oh, well, that's really big of you. You know, uh, <laughs> you know because if, but if I get to assign the parts, whose part do you think is going to be bigger? You know, they, you know, I go, okay, so here's my resentment, here's my resentment, and there's my part. <laughs> right? And, and I'm going to apologize for my part, so hopefully they'll see their part. It'll make it easier for them. You know, in the, in the amends process, it says uh, a sincere desire to set right the wrong. And a lot of times the way I know I don't have it is when, have you ever gone and made amends to somebody for your little part? And they go, well, I'm glad you finally saw that. And I'm going, seriously? You got nothing for me? You know, I mean... That's why I knew there's more going on there than a sincere desire to set right the wrong. But um, but when we talk, it says once we start see this, the thing that happens in that fourth column thing when we talk about turning the second column into a lie is over and over and over again. I see where I was selfish and I was dishonest. Mark, one time I called Mark and I said, I, I, I see dishonest in the evening review, and I, and I always put no. Were you dishonest? No. Were you dishonest? No. Were you dishonest? No. And I start thinking. I don't think they'd put it in there if, it, if I wasn't ever going to encounter it, you know. And, and Mark goes, well, Charlie, you know, there's three forms of dishonesty. Okay, he goes, well, there's lying, which is what I've been looking at. And I wasn't just like straight up lying to people, so I put no. He goes, there's lying by omission. And I, oh, oh. You know, sometimes you can kind of shape the story where it's not really my fault if you get a different impression of the facts than, than the truth is, but it, just because of the way I told the story. Lying by omission. And then he goes, and the third one is delusion. He goes, delusion's where I'm lying to myself. And I, my God, that term has blown the fourth column wide open for me. I mean, that dishonesty in the fourth column, when we talk about delusion, oh my God. I was writing four column inventory one time on a sponsee, you know, and I put down, you know, the sponsee, why? Well, he, he, he doesn't listen. He, he commits to assignments and he doesn't do it. He interrupts me when I'm talking. He completes sentences for me. He doesn't pay attention when we're talking about stuff. I give him assignments. He doesn't do it. He makes a commitment to be at my house at, you know, 10 o'clock on Saturday morning. He cancels at 9.45 and, you know, and all this stuff. And, and, and then I, so how does it affect me? My self-esteem, my pride, my, you know, all the, my ambitions and all this stuff. And then when I do the sick, 
stickman exercise, and I look at it from his angle, and I get over here and we start talking about delusion, and I go, Charlie, is it possible that it's a little bit delusional to expect this newcomer not to act like a newcomer? <laughs> you know, what, what you've written in the second column is the definition of a newcomer. You know, I mean, who is the elder statesman here? You know, it's like I'm expecting this guy to act like he's had a spiritual awakening before he's finished working the steps, you know. So delusion is uh, disturbing, you know. Um, and, and a lot of times, you know, I mean, when I look at the way, I, a lot of times in these resentments, you know, we talk about being forgiveness. I think we need a lot less, I think we need to exhibit a lot less forgiveness than we think we do. I need more awareness than I do forgiveness. Because once I get awareness, a lot of times I go, ooh, I'm not the one that needs to be forgiving here. I need to, I mean, I need to go ask them for their forgiveness. You know, I mean, I spent 24 hours one time after a fight. You want to hear a spiritual take? Katie and I had had a big fight, and I spent 24 hours waiting for her to come apologize to me for messing with me while I was hot. As a dude, that seems like a reasonable argument, you know. She should have seen that I was hot and known that that was not the time to approach me, you know. And, and then you're like going, dude, she didn't do anything, you know. And you're like, ha, ah. you, know? <laughs> you know. I mean, so, I mean, so you see the power of this fourth column and looking at it from an entirely different angle and that sort of thing. Well, anyway, we're just getting started. But this is stuff we're going to learn to do. We talk about four-column inventory a lot. We talk about it in the tenth step, eleventh step. You're going to hear a lot more about that later. But the instructions for doing inventory are in, in this fourth step. And, and a lot of times when I go, and like Katie said last night, I do it. I'm a big believer in multiple inventories. My first sponsor said, you only ever do one inventory. And uh, and I was like, you don't have to tell a guy like me that twice. I'm like, fine, fine, I'm out. You know, I didn't really enjoy the first one that much, you know. And, and, and now, while it's true, if you do a thorough fourth column inventory and do a great fifth step with somebody, and then you take that and you, and you do a perfect tenth step as you move through the day and watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear, and take that into your evening review every night and see all this stuff, and then you take those observations into your morning meditation. You know, you got the interview in the eleventh step. You take that into your morning meditation in the eleventh step, and then you, you clean that up and go through the day. It's possible that you could live your whole sober life without ever having to write another four column inventory. And if you do that, we will build a statue in your honor <laughs> in front of the General Service Office of Alcoholics Anonymous because most of us could tell you, now we dress it up, but most of us could tell you, well, I don't really have any resentment. And the guy would tell you, he goes, oh, I don't resent my partner in business. And he goes, I mean, it kind of bugs me that I give him a half a million dollars a year and he doesn't do a darn thing. Goes, well, why don't we do a bugs me inventory? You know? <laughs> why don't we look at all the people that bug you? Let's, let's inventory the people you feel smugly superior to, you know? And, uh, and I say, because I don't want to have to do about a resentment. So then we, Man, I, I gotta move. Um, the second inventory, there's three inventories in the fourth step. The first inventory is resentment. There's a lot of power in there. The second inventory is fear. I'm gonna go through this one pretty fast. But what are we looking at in this fourth step? Remember what we were looking for? Common manifestations of self. So now we're gonna look at fear as a manifestation of self. And it says fear was an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. 
At Primary Purpose Group, we like to use a 1936 dictionary and look up words that, uh, to see what they mean or what they meant at the time they were writing the big book. And one time we were reading this part of the, we were studying this part of the book, and it said the fa- it uses the term shot three times in the big book. And it says the fabric of our existence was shot through with it. Now, I'm a competitive shotgun shooter. I think I know what shot means. I had a picture of this piece of fabric that had been like shot, you know, and it has holes through it and stuff like that. And but anyway, one day we're in, in the meeting and I go, Hey, uh, look, Jay, look up the word shot. And he looks it up and it says, a method of weaving using weft and web where the fabric takes on a different appearance depending upon the viewpoint of the observer. We call it a Cheech and Chong moment in the meeting. It's like <laughs> the whole group went, whoa. <laughs> you know, because... I used to carry a piece of shot fabric, but it, but it, it, but you ever seen a shark skin suit or something where you look at it from a different angle and it looks, that's shot, like shot silk looks different from different angles. And, and so I'm somewhere like going, wow, so now not only is it saying that the fabric of my existence is shot through with fear, but it can also change the way things look based on how I'm looking at things. Things can look completely different when I'm in fear. And the problem is when I'm driven by fear, uh, most of the time the only control I have over that situation is to affect things badly. I can't make it go good, but, boy, I can blow it up. I go into self-seeking. I, I'm scared about what's going to happen with this thing at work. And then I think, well, i, I got to go talk to Bob and see what Bob said to Dan. What did Dan say about what Billy said? And if Billy said, oh, man, if Billy goes to the boss, oh, my God. So I'm, never mind. I'm going straight to the boss, and I'm going to confess everything. You know, and, 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 you know, and driven by fear, I can affect things really, really badly. So uh, it says um, we think fear ought to be classed with stealing seems to cause more damage. That didn't make sense for a long time to me. But then one time I heard Bob talking about it, one of the Bobs, and he says, uh, he says, uh, he talked about this old timer that was looking, he was dying in the hospital. He was looking back over his life and he said, you know, when you get in the home stretch and you're looking back over my life, he goes, it's not, it's not the mistakes that I made that I deeply regret. It's, it's the things I was afraid to try. You know, and in that way, Fear ought to be classed as stealing. It robs me of the relationship I might have been able to have. It reminds, robs me of the experience with my family I might have been able to have. It reminds me of the experience I might be able to have, have with people, but I'm afraid of so many. I'm dri- driven by so many fears. So we reviewed our fears thoroughly. We asked ourselves why we had them. Remember when we said we're looking for manifestations of self? I missed that for so long. And I don't even know how because it seems like it's all over the book. Here again it goes. We asked ourselves why we had these fears, and it says, wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? So the one thing, so it says fear is the failure of self-reliance. Now I can't experience the fear, failure of self-reliance unless I'm in self-reliance. So when I'm scared, I have to tell myself, oh, I think I'm back in self-reliance, you know? One time one of my smart boy, we talk about spiritual consent. I was off the beam one time. Danny Brown likes to say sometimes, he goes, I think I'm still doing pretty good if I can still see the broad highway. You know, and, and you know, we get, it's a little rough out here. I'm getting beat up a little bit, but I, I know where the broad highway is. You know, and, 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 uh, and one time I, I was just, this probably doesn't happen to y'all, but I was just, everybody was bugging me. You know, and, and, and here's a clue. When it's everybody, it ain't anybody. You know, um, you know, and, and, and my sponsor sat me down. You know, we talk about having spiritual consent with each other. He goes, Charlie, you seem like a guy that's starting to run the show again. 
Now, part of those considerations is I don't get to say anything, but thank you, I'll consider that. Because if I get to respond, all you're going to hear is my ego telling me how you little wet behind the ears punk. You got no idea what you got. I mean, you know, but all I get to say is thank you, I'll consider that. You know, and you walk away from that conversation and you, you reflect on it later, you go, that's dead on. That's dead on. That's why everybody's bugging me. I am running a show again and I don't even know it because what happens is the 12 and 12 says, we can have faith in God and keep him out of our lives. And the way that shows up for a guy like me is, is I, I go, oh, God's awesome, man. God took away my drinking problem. You know, God, yeah, thank God for God, you know, uh, but, uh, but, uh, um, I don't need him for this deal with my marriage, right? I don't need him for this thing at work. I don't need God to help me with this talk I'm about to give. I don't, I don't, need, I don't need God with the IRS. But if I ever have a really big problem, I'll bring God right in, you know. But in, in the meantime, God, just take a knee, and we'll let you know if we're going to send you in. You know? and, and, uh, and so what happens is God-reliance drops down, self-reliance raises up, and before I know it, God doesn't have anything to do with it. You know, and when you, you know, when you know when you're in a big beef, and somebody goes, "Oh, where's God in all of this?" You know, and you want to slap the crap out of them, but you got to be able to take me back to how to get back to that God consciousness. And I've gotten blocked again, and we got, and that's that's the work we continue to do in this stuff. But it says we're on a new basis. The basis of trust in him. There are a lot of places in the book where it goes back to this deal I made in, in the third step. That, that I'm no longer playing God. That he'll take care. I'm no longer in management. But he'll provide what I need if I stay close to him and perform his work. But I call that the deal and the terms of the deal. And there's a lot of places in my book where I say, restates the deal. Restates the deal. Restates the deal. I always picture this airline route map where you have Atlanta and all these lines going back to Atlanta and it's kind of like that back to that deal I made in the third step. The book is constantly taking me back to it. It says perhaps we're on a new basis. The basis of trusting and relying upon God. I used to drive Katie crazy with this thing about this fear sphere that I talked about. And inside this sphere were the things that I can control in my life. And this is an exercise I do in the fear inventory. And I look at it, and there were these little bit, and it's probably a lot smaller than I think it is, but there are things in my life that I have control over. And on the basis of self-reliance, I can handle those things. But there are things that fall outside of that sphere that I don't have control over. And on the basis of self-reliance, they scare the heck out of me. One of them is cancer. One of them is stroke. One of them is how my kids are going to turn out. One is I'm going to stay married. Are people going to talk poorly about me? Well, the, all these, and you can't believe how many times when you do inventory with the guy in the fear inventory, and you go back and you go, okay, all these fears you have listed down here, this one here about your kids, is that inside your area of control or outside your area of control? Outside. Stroke, outside. Gossip, outside. How much money are you going to make, outside. And so on the basis of self-reliance, but since we're now on a new basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. You know, so that, that's what they're talking about. It's another example of the failure of self. And we are not going to talk about the sex inventory today, but it is a good one. Um, <laughs> Why do we do the, you know, I love that big long paragraph where he talks about the, the spirit of the, of the, but I do want to say one thing. Um, in the hour I have left, I, uh, 
No, for the smokers, I feel you. you know, but, but, you know, it gives the spirit of the, and, and one of the ways it, we see as a manifestation of self is in the sex inventory. Manifestation of self when the sexual instinct is aroused. We go back and we look over, but I do want to say one thing. One of the things that I think is funny, you know, as, you know, when you have kids, you hear yourself saying stuff, that your parents said, and then you realize it was just straight up BS, you know, and, and, uh, and, and you know how we talk about don't get in a relationship for the first year of sobriety, you know, and the sex, and that's in the book, but we hear it in the rooms of AA. Well, I finally figured that one out, and I want to share this one with you. One time we were out by the pool, and my daughter, Sadie, came running up, and she goes, Dad, we had just had lunch, and we're all sitting there chill, and, and, and she says, Dad, I want to go back in the pool. And I go, oh, honey, you, you can't go swimming for an hour after you eat, or you'll get a cramp, right? <laughs> And I go, wait a minute. I don't know anybody that knows anybody that knows anybody that's ever had a cramp, right? And then I realize that the reason we say you can't go swimming for 30 minutes after you eat or you get a cramp, it's not because I get a cramp. It's because I just had lunch, and I don't want to mess with watching you in the pool. So I just say, oh, you can't swim for 30 minutes after you eat or you get a cramp. Turns out that's the same reason we tell sponsees not to get in a relationship for the first year. We don't, we don't know if it works or not because nobody's ever done it. But, uh, but it's like if you get in a relationship, my job just got a lot harder. You know? yeah. What we're trying to do in that sex inventory is shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. And then we ask ourselves those questions. On We ask nine questions in the inventory. We have four prayers we say on page 70. We ask God for the right ideal. We're trying to establish an ideal for, for our future sex life by seeing what went wrong in the past. We ask for guidance in questionable situations, for sanity, and for the strength to do the right thing. I've written that down on three-by-five cards before and had it on my dashboard where I'm asking for the right ideal, for sanity, for guidance, and that sort of thing. I mean, it says, and we get to the end of this thing, and it says, we hope you are now, if I missed the self piece in, in the third step, and I missed it in the fourth step, in the eighth step, it says, you know, we attempt to sweep away the debris which is accumulated out of our effort to live life on self-will and run the show. I missed so much of it, it just went whatever. And here it says, we hope you are now convinced that God can remove from you whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. Am I convinced? It says, We've made a decision. We've made an inventory of our grocery handicaps, and if that be the case, you've made a good beginning. I've swallowed and digested some big chunks of truth about ourselves. Well, when we talk about, um, I'm going to keep doing inventory. I do it all the time. I'm also a big believer in multiple fifth steps. I like to write inventory and read it to more than one person. Last time I wrote inventory, I read it to three people, two men, one woman, one woman, and it was, and it was really powerful stuff. I wish we're not going to have time to talk about the fifth step. But don't wait till you can do this thing perfectly to start sponsoring people. It's my firm belief that if the sponsee and the sponsor are both giving it their best shot, God takes up a lot of slack in this equation. When I'm here in inventory, I'm trying to point out their selfishness, their delusion, their hypocrisy, their fear, double standards, their kind motives, doing the sick man exercise, are they running the show, could I be the person in column one? Have you, if, I ask them a lot of times, have you ever had a situation where you could be that person in column one and somebody could be writing inventory about you and it would be the exact same thing? We're trying to look at this thing from an entirely different angle. I want to read the fifth step promises. 
wish I had time to talk a little bit about the fifth step, but there's not a lot of instructions in there. But it says, once we have taken this step with all in... What? Well... <laughs> I want to say a couple of things about the fifth step. It, it, my timer must be off, but, I, but it says, uh, it talks about who's going to hear it. You know, it, it says they need to be able to keep a confidence. They need to fully understand what we're doing and approve of it, and that they won't try to change my plan. And then, and then it says what we're trying to, we're going to face and be rid of the things that are blocking me. We're on a life and death errand. And now, the one thing it says in there, there's really not that many instructions. It says we pocket our pride and go to it. I think most of the instructions in the fifth step are really in the fourth step of what we're looking for and what we're going to look at. And when I'm reading it to somebody, he needs to know what this process is. But one time I called up Scott and I said, Scott, you know, where's the part in the fifth where it says, I'm a pretty, I've taken a pretty technical approach to the book. I don't see the place where it says, where are the things I'm going to take to my grave? Where's the worst thing you've ever done? That sort of thing. And he goes, it's in the fifth step. I said, well, he goes, it says, we pocket our pride and go to it, illuminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. So obviously there's more to hearing a fifth step than sitting there leading to somebody, listening to somebody read their fourth step to me. Because I had this guy, Jamie, one time. I love Jamie. And, and uh um, but we did the inventory, and it gets you know, you know and my book promises me by this time I'm going to have intuitive thought and that sort of thing. And I can hear it, and it's, it, sometimes I hear inventory differently. Sometimes I'll ask this question early. Sometimes I'll ask it in the middle. Sometimes I'll ask it at the very end. Sometimes I don't ask it at all. But Jamie finishes his uh, inventory, and I go, well, so is that it? And he goes, yeah, that's it. And the sex inventory, so I can go, that's it, nothing else. And he goes, no, no, nothing. I go, oh, that's interesting. I go, you and I are a lot alike. And I said, um, you know, I, I know I had a lot of shame behind this event that happened in my life. And he goes, well, there's something else. And, uh, and, and so we talked about that. And that one didn't kill him. And he goes, there's something else. And we, and we talked about that. You know, and the book says we'll try to hang on to the worst items in stock. You know, it's like, believe me, you're not going to make me think less of you. I mean, the more the, that stuff there is, the more I love this guy. You know, but I mean... I've also heard people say, I've never heard anything on a fist step that shocked me. Bull. Uh, I, mean, I mean, yeah, you're not hearing enough inventory, you know, but, uh, but, uh, but I, I can't go like, oh man, I wouldn't have told that one, you know. And then, so anyway, we do that and Jamie drives off and he gets halfway home, my phone rings and he goes, there's something else. You know, and, you know, and so we, we, we're trying to illuminate, shine light upon the, the dark crannies of, of the past. The fifth step promises say, once we've taken this step withholding nothing, we are delighted. I had a sponsor, he called me one time and he goes, you know, Charlie, I'm not delighted. Uh, you know, I feel like we just spent about four hours with you rubbing my face in selfishness and self-centeredness and thoughtlessness. And I go, but wouldn't it be worse? You know, which the book talks about we avoid worry, remorse, or morbid self-reflection. The last thing we want to do with all this stuff we see in this, in this stuff is that I go, oh my God, I'm such an idiot. I'm so terrible. I don't even, because what happens is that the reason we avoid worry is just another manifestation of self. The ego doesn't care, care whether I'm thinking that I'm wonderful or if it can, it's, it's its favorite, but if it swings over to, oh my God, you're the worst thing that ever happened, the ego's fine with that. As long as I'm thinking about me, the ego's fine with it. You know, so we avoid worry, remorse. And, and I had this guy feeling terrible about some stuff we'd see in the fourth column. And I go, man, 
wouldn't it be worse if you were struggling and you came to me and we did this inventory and I just went, my God, Bill, I just don't see anything you could be doing different, you know? Uh, you know? We, that's why we're delighted is because now we got stuff to look at. We got real business to take into six and seven that Candace is going to talk about after Larsine's talk. You know, this, this, this vigorous course of action, it's a, awareness is the greatest motivation for change, but we can't just have awareness and then go, I'm going to stop doing that. We've got to take it and like what Candace is going to talk about in N6 and 7. It says we can look the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. How's that one? Or is it the chatter of a thousand monkeys? Our fears fall from us. They don't necessarily say that we learn to deal with it. It says they fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our Creator. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. The feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. We feel we're on the broad highway, walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. I almost missed it. I almost missed a whole lot of this. If I'd have died in that plane crash in 2003, I can promise you I would have missed it. The amazing thing is I came here to quit drinking. And I was given a program of action that keep, continues to get me unblocked from self and establishes me on a, relator, a relationship with the creator of the universe. I'm Charlie Parker. I'm alcoholic. Breaking it down where a bearded guy like me can get a hold of it. Um, y'all, we're going to take a break here in just a second. Uh, we've got another speaker at 1030, right? So.